When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. God, he's the best. Oh, man. Vince McMahon just shredding his vocal cords at the beginning of WrestleMania 10 from Madison Square Garden. This is a bonus episode of Mackie and Judd. This is WrestleMania Rewind, the 11th edition, because we skipped ahead and did WrestleMania 36, the quarantined edition <laughs> from a few months ago. Uh, and, and a hat tip to our friend Rami Makloff, who uh, started this segment on Score North Live a few months back. But... Phil Mackey and Declan Goff, we do deep dives into WrestleManias. We have done one through nine, and now this one, I think, spoiler alert for the end of the podcast, might be the best WrestleMania up to this point. We'll do our official WrestleMania rankings once we get toward the end. But uh, Declan, I'm going to lay out the summary here of what happened on March 20th, 1994, inside Madison Square Garden, the 10-year anniversary of WrestleMania where it all began in 1985 and the headline was two WWF title matches in the same night. You had Lex Luger, the Lex express against Yokozuna. And then Bret Hart was scheduled to face the winner of that match between those two. And it all stemmed from a controversial finish to the 1994 Royal rumble where both Bret Hart and Lex Luger hit the ground at the same time. So if you want to go back and watch the lead up, Royal Rumble 1994 is a great place to start. Uh, it's also worth noting to make it fair. So what they did was uh, the I think it was President Jack Tunney or was it President Gorilla Monsoon? One of the two presidents, whoever the, was the president in 1994, flipped a coin and and Lex Luger won the coin toss, which meant that he faced Yokozuna to start with. So he had his, his title match to start with, guaranteeing him at least one title match. But to make it fair so that Bret Hart also had to wrestle twice. He wrestled his brother, Owen Hart, in a bitter brother-versus-brother rivalry match, which we'll get into. Donnie Wahlberg and Burt Reynolds, the special guest ring announcers for this one. And you just had major changes across the board in the WWF around this period and leading up to this WrestleMania. This is the first WrestleMania without Hulk Hogan. Uh, this is also uh, the first time that Jim Ross was first of many times that Jim Ross was fired from the WWF. You'll notice that he was part of the 1993 WrestleMania nine announcing team. And then he was gone for WrestleMania 10 because he got fired on February 11th, two weeks after suffering his first attack of Bell's palsy on January 30th. 
and Jerry the King Lawler was on commentary with Vince McMahon. So many interesting matches to get to, and I'll throw it to you. We'll start off the categories here, Declan. Your favorite part of WrestleMania 10. Well, th- this is an okay WrestleMania. Like I, I, I don't. I was in love with it, but I, there was definitely some highs and there's a, there's a lot of lows. But uh, I, I really loved that the president of the United States showed up to WrestleMania and also from what it looked like stayed for the whole thing. I'm in the presidential box. I'm going to see if the president will speak with us, sir. Mr. President, <laughs> we just uh, take a second of your time, sir. I, I don't want to bother you. Um, sorry, a little nervous. It's all right. I wondered if maybe you could tell us if you're enjoying WrestleMania 10 or... Well, Todd, I'll tell you, uh, I'm, a, I'm a very big fan of wrestling. I have been for years. And uh, there's nothing like the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, I wouldn't miss one of these things for all the things, all in the world, all the money in the world. Oh, my God. I, I love, too, how ner- <laughs> And, like, I think he actually was nervous. The the questioner, I, I think, was actually pretty nervous talking to the president. Todd, Todd Pettengill. By the way, Todd Pettengill had a great run for, like, five years as uh as the the like basically the behind the scenes interviewer guy, and then went on to have a great legendary New York radio career as a morning show. Host. Okay, so yeah, so so that was one of the most prominent Bill Clinton impersonators in the entire country that stayed up in the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Irwin R. Scheister's luxury suite. So pretty funny stuff there. So that was your favorite part was I, the I, Bill Clinton impersonator I honestly guy. Honestly, think that was my favorite part. I thought that was absolutely perfect um, because the, in general, like there's there's some good matches in here, but I felt like there was a lot of downtime. Like, you know, the, I, I feel like they treated WrestleMania 10 as if it was going to be the last one. So they kept doing the rewinds. And I understand it's a milestone. So they kept flashing back, you know, to all these WrestleMania moments. But I also felt like there was just a lot of slow downtime between matches and that like dragged on the program. Well, I so watching it back. There were definitely some low spots and sometimes we had to wait like 40 minutes for the next thing. And the Lex Luger Yokozuna match was kind of a drag, which yeah. we'll get more into that too. But my favorite part is is the, the ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship oh. between Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels, which still holds up to this day as one of the greatest matches in the history of the WWF. This was the second ever ladder match in the WWF. Uh, the first one took place a couple years beforehand in 1992 in which Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels squared off for the Intercontinental Championship. And this was held in Portland, Maine on July 21st, 1992 at basically a house show. It was taped but never aired on television until it was included in a ladder match DVD in 2007. So this match was like the first ever ladder match was dark for 15 years. So, So this match between Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon was regarded largely as the first ever ladder match. In the WWE's history, you had Big Daddy Cool Diesel, Kevin oh, yeah. Nash coming out as Shawn Michaels' bodyguard. This is when Shawn Michaels was really emerging as a top-level talent. And it's just really interesting to see in this match, like, this is 1994. And less than three years later, you would you would have had Big Daddy Cool Diesel and Razor Ramon as two of the three main components of the New World Order in the WCW, right? And then Shawn Michaels was the founder of D-Generation X. So, like, the three main guys that were coming out for this match were part of maybe the two most popular and noted factions in the history of wrestling less than two or three years later. So, 
Um, the, I thought the end of the match was really creative too. When you have Razor Ramon yeah. pushing Shawn Michaels off the ladder and he gets stuck in the ropes and he climbs up like the crowd's going crazy for this entire match because they've never seen anything like this before. And Dex, I think this match actually paved the way for the Attitude Era's violence in many ways. Like the Attitude Era was known for Hell in a Cell and ladder matches and barbed wire and like. <laughs> This to like th- there, there, there's been some violent matches in WWF history, especially if you go back to like the 70s and early 80s. And Sergeant Slaughter was involved in a boot camp match at one point, but this was one of the most at the time, at the time, one of the most jaw dropping and violent matches in the history of WWF because these guys are beating each other's asses with a ladder yeah, in the middle I, of Madison Square Garden. I've so. seen this match maybe like two or three times before. I've I've seen it before, but. I guess I forgot about how much, like, especially Michaels, like, used the ladder to his advantage and, like, was legitimately punishing Razor Ramon with a 10-foot yeah. ladder. Like, it, like you know, some of these sons you can fake a little bit and you can obviously bump off a little bit more. But this was, this looks pretty legitimate of Shawn Michaels, like, beating the living crap out of Razor Ramon with the ladder. And, yeah, it was it was your hardcore table setter for future TLC matches and whatnot. And you had Michaels flying off the ladder. Um, and then a really creative way how basically, and I don't know if it's in the notes by, by Michael, but how that ladder gets crooked towards the end. And like, I don't know if they had a backup ladder because yeah. that, like when I noticed it got crooked, I was like, Oh, do they have to get another ladder? Cause like that thing is crooked. And there's, these are two guys who are probably North of 200 pounds like that. That thing is probably not gonna be able to be too sustainable. And they were able to make it work, but it, it is a crazy match. You get to see Shawn Michaels bare ass if, like, you're into that kind of stuff, too. <laughs> totally forgot that happened. Um, That's right. It was, it was a really, really cool match. And even, I remember uh, I, the Razor's Edge, right? That's, like, that's Razor's pow, yeah. uh, finisher, basically a, a pile driver. It's a power bomb. Yeah, it's like a power bomb, basically. Gotcha. And some of those pile drivers, and Owen Hart did the same thing in the Bret Hart match, like, some of those pile drivers look like you are inches away from, like, killing a person and breaking their neck. Yes. Yeah. Owen Hart gave Bret Hart a tombstone pile driver, like a jumping tombstone pile driver in that match. And then, of course, he goes up to the top rope to deliver the flying headbutt for no reason yeah. and and misses it and whatever. But I think just to put a bow on the ladder match, it was innovative. It was the first real show stealing WrestleMania match that Shawn Michaels had where you come like you think about WrestleMania 10 and that is the match that you think yeah. about. And and it wasn't the main event, uh, and so that's like Shawn Michaels is is known as the showstopper, right? And and Mister WrestleMania because he because he's always stealing the show. And I thought uh, I just thought that that was I thought that that was the iconic match to that point of the first ten WrestleManias. All right, what was your least favorite part of WrestleMania ten? So least favorite part is I I said a little bit about how that pace just felt really really weird. And then also, I'm sorry, I, I usually love Little Richard, but that America the Beautiful oh, rendition was, was one of the worst. <laughs> I, I don't mind him. I think it's funny. Like, I think it's honestly hilarious. And I thought that rendition American Beautiful was the most painful one I ever heard. So that was definitely up there in like a pretty painful one. The second, like the legitimate one of, of, the, of WrestleMania was I felt like they, wa- and I feel like you probably are going to have the same one. I felt like they totally wasted Macho Man with this weird Falls Count Anywhere match with Kona. Like it also, like I thought a falls count anywhere match was just falls count anywhere. Not you have 10 seconds to get back into a ring. I guess maybe they made an amendment towards future matches, but I thought that was kind of strange and it just, it didn't vibe. I thought it didn't vibe well with what Randy, with Rand, with what Macho Man Randy Savage wanted to do. 
yeah, it was weird. Like it was, it should have just been a false count anywhere match where you can just get the pinfall from anywhere. Yeah. And instead he like tied him up and got back to the ring and it was only a nine minute false count anywhere match, which is kind of weird. Uh, so on, on paper, it's a really compelling, interesting match. And I will say it added another layer. Like they were fighting in the back room and it added a layer to, to the match. It's also Crush as a character. So Crush was introduced a couple years prior or maybe even like four or five years prior as the third man in Demolition, the Dominatrix tag team, which we've reviewed on a few other WrestleManias. And then they evolved this character into this Kona Crush sort of like surfer big guy kind of a weird thing and then he eventually at the next wrestlemania no i'm sorry he was kona crush at wrestlemania 9 and then he evolved into bad guy crush at wrestlemania 10 and then eventually he became in the attitude era do you remember for a year there was a tag team or a group called disciples of apocalypse the doa yeah or yeah is this out of your no nope, okay. i remember doa yeah he was he was a member of of doa and then went on to do a couple things. I think he was in WCW for a minute too. So he's just kind of a kind of a, a character that's been all over the place. But yeah, I think the Randy Savage thing, without Hulk Hogan, like you look up and down this card, and they had their main eventers all wrestling twice <laughs> because they just didn't, you know, it's not like they had a stacked roster at this point. Yeah. So they had all their main eventers wrestling twice in Bret Hart, Yokozuna, and Lex Luger. And Randy Savage had been on the microphone as the Monday night raw color commentator. And he was on commentator duty for WrestleMania nine. They brought, they dusted him off out of retirement basically for this false count anywhere match just to add to the card. So it was kind of a, yeah, kind of, kind of a buzzkill. I would say actually my least favorite part about this WrestleMania was probably Lex Luger. Yeah. And just like, just Lex Luger in general in, in his two year run with the WWF. So they brought him in initially as the narcissist, right? He was the bad guy narcissist at WrestleMania nine has a dud match with Mr. Perfect because as we talked about on last week's episode, Mr. Perfect was supposed to call the match in the ring and then forgot what they were running. And so then Lex Luger <laughs> had to kind of call the match and it turned into to be kind of a disaster. So this was his chance to make up for it. They turned him into a good guy in the run leading up to this. They basically, so he went into Vince McMahon's office and Vince McMahon said, all right, with Hulk Hogan gone, there's room for another big guy, American hero who can body slam, 500 pounders and so let's let's you know in order to prove that hulk hogan didn't matter and and uh wasn't as important to the wwf as people think we're going to turn lex luger into the next hulk hogan and so they have him come out he 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 body slams yokozuna at this body slam challenge and he goes on to you know to the main event level of the card but he just like he was never as charismatic as he probably could have been or just wasn't maybe he just wasn't capable of being charismatic and uh and they just kind of like it was the first instance of Vince McMahon shoving a big guy down the audience's throat that they didn't want and we've seen plenty of that over the last 15 years yes. or so with Roman Reigns in particular and I just think like his match against Yokozuna in this WrestleMania was kind of a dud yeah and then when you get screwed like this is part of the the, the character problem when you get screwed like Mr. Perfect screwed Lex Luger right he disqualified Lex Luger 15 minutes into a into essentially a main event championship match disqualifies him for putting his hands on an official, which is something that like, he just got totally screwed over. Yeah. He should have, he should have gone apoplectic in the ring. Like he should have destroyed Mr. Perfect. He should have chased him, destroyed him. He should have taken the TV monitors out. Like he should have, in order to get at least some 
some reaction from the crowd. Like he, but he just kind of stood there dumbfounded and stomped his feet a couple times and then came back to the back and, uh, and he just like, he's not charismatic. So I guess what I'm saying is my least favorite part about this is the way that Vince McMahon eventually stopped, but tried to jam Lex Luger down our throats. Lex Luger, he has no reason putting his hands on Mr. Perfect or an official in the World Wrestling Federation. When you put your hands on an official, you're automatically disqualified. I call it the way I saw it. Give me one good reason why. I'll give you three good reasons. Where's the first one, Luger? Number one, you don't throw managers in the ring. They're on the outside. Number two, you don't pull me. You don't touch an official. You World Wrestling Federation. You never awesome yeah it's just like it was i mean I know, mr perfect's awesome mr yeah. perfect should have been in some main events yeah i agree it's i thought too, he was too great bad. i was also i think technically today's years old as they like to say i did not know yokozuna was part of the samoan family that has produced all yeah. these great wrestlers i actually thought he was japanese so i didn't know that he was an actually he actually wasn't japanese he's part of that samoan build and they just they like treated him as a instead they like made him do a sumo guy i had no idea until i was like going down his wikipedia wormhole yesterday yeah he's cousins with the rock with roman reigns with um rikishi like he's yeah he's he's part of that head shrinker family yes <laughs> we talked about last week Appar- apparently so, at the time of his death he was 580 pounds yeah it was Oof. it's it's gonna be the next few wrestlemanias for yokozuna are gonna be a slow trip Oof. down the career path for him uh, one more note, too, on Randy Savage. This was Macho Man Randy Savage's last ever WrestleMania from our previous part of the discussion. So um, I think my my secondary favorite part about this WrestleMania and another one of the, the great matches, and it just kind of got overshadowed by the ladder match, but jealous Owen Hart oh, against yeah. his brother Bret Hart was a great match that they allowed 20 minutes for. This is probably Owen Hart's shining moment in the WWF. He had some good moments the next few years and obviously died tragically in 1999, just five years later. But but I just like the psychology of this match is amazing. You've got the storyline that had built up for several months. And then to bring it full circle at the end, like for them to know that Bret Hart was going to come back and win the championship later on the night, he didn't need to win that match. So to give Owen Hart the win, the clean win, and then to have Owen Hart standing in the aisle after Bret Hart eventually wins the championship over Yokozuna and shaking his head and and jealous. Like, the whole thing was amazing. I think Owen Hart is one of the most underrated talents and actors and workers in WWF history, and this was his peak shiny moment, I think, at WrestleMania 10. Totally. I, I thought the same thing. I mean, it, that was a great tone-setting match, even if it was 20 minutes. I mean, I, I got towards the end, I was like, okay, this is going a little long, but at least it was insanely entertaining. You have two dudes that are pile-driving each other. They're textbook wrestlers to a T, and I, I remember Owen Hart towards the end of 98. I, I, I have conscious memories of of him when he did when he fell and when he passed away and died but it felt like when i've gotten back and i've rewatched attitude eras it felt like kind of like what we've talked about with guys like henning where like man you just wasted him like like you really and there was a beef between the mcmahons and the hearts so and owen stuck around after brett left but it really felt like man you he wins a king of the ring and he has this moment at wrestlemania so there's definitely some highs but it seems like it's glass half empty with him like he could have he could have done so much more they could have used him so much more the better way to phrase it and they just didn't they just didn't yeah i mean like part of the problem was you know this was the first time in wwf history 1993 94 where bret hart's the champion 
where Vince McMahon was even open to giving non-Herculean-looking wrestlers run at the top of the card. He just didn't think it was believable that, like, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart would be able to beat guys who were 100 pounds bigger. Like, and really, like, in a real fight, no. they Like, you probably wouldn't be able to beat Yokozuna in a, in a real fight. Right. Although, UFC tested that theory out. In the first five Ultimate Fighting Championships, there were no weight classes, or, like, the first few of them. It was just a tournament. And so you would literally have guys who look like Yokozuna against guys who look like Owen Hart or smaller or Declan Goff. <laughs> yeah, or me, featherweights. And, <laughs> and generally, like the smaller guys would actually win because the big guys couldn't like they couldn't move around. Their cardio would would go quicker. Um, the other thing I was wondering after watching this is this is like right in the middle of Undertaker's rise to stardom in the WWF. Where was the Undertaker? Yeah. At WrestleMania 10. So what happened was during a casket match for the WWF title at Royal Rumble a few months earlier, Yokozuna sealed the Undertaker in the casket right. with assistance from other villainous Harvey Whippleman managed wrestlers to win the match. The Undertaker appeared from inside the casket on the video screen, representing his spirit, yes. warning that he would return. The Undertaker did not appear in the WWF for seven months after his loss to Yokozuna. In reality, he was just given time off to allow a back injury to heal. But what happened was shortly after WrestleMania, the Million Dollar Man came back and said, hey, I have found The Undertaker. He's now my guy again. I brought him into the WWF. He's my guy now. Um, I think I think Million Dollar Man, did he bring The Undertaker in in 1990? I, I, can't, I can't remember. I think but, he did. Yes, I think he did. But that's when you had Undertaker versus fake Undertaker, yep. imposter Undertaker at SummerSlam 1994. Uh, one of the more, I think, forgettable angles in WWF history. Um, just fast forwarding decks to the end here. Bret Hart beats Yokozuna. It's really like if anyone's going to have a decent match against a 500-pound sumo wrestling character, it's going to be Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels. But Bret Hart having a, 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 as good of a 10-minute match against Yokozuna as you can have, selling the knee injury from earlier with uh, the match against Owen Hart and uh, and he wins was with Roddy Piper as the special guest referee kind of a weird finish where Yokozuna just like falls off the second rope backwards as he's about yeah. to do his bonsai drop and then Bret Hart pins him <laughs> yeah I, I was kind of hoping for like at least some type of splash or some type of move instead of just like rolling over and taking the cover I was like oh that's kind of a lame way to win the title right uh, but what else stood out to you about WrestleMania 10? Any other any other things before we get to listener Mike's bag of goodies and his notes? Uh, I love. I actually didn't mind the Dink and Doink match, I, the little tag team match, because also I forgot how how I'm, I know Bam Bam Bigelow. I definitely have memories of him, but I forgot how good that dude could move. That dude, guy could he's, he, actually. What you're gonna find out is Bam Bam Bigelow main evented the next WrestleMania, oh, WrestleMania 11. I did not know that. No, so he I main evented it against Lawrence Taylor. What? Oh, great. I can't. Uh, now I, I can and can't wait for WrestleMania 11 now. Um, <laughs> but I forgot how good he could move. I didn't know he could drop kick people yeah, and fly up and down. Like, I just thought he was your typical mid card, big weight dude that can only do so much. No, this guy could flat out fly. He was super athletic. I was super yes. impressed by that. Yeah, Bam Bam Bigelow. So he made his WWF debut, I think, in like 1989 because he was part of that wrestlemania tournament at wrestlemania 4 he got beat in the first round by the one-man gang but he is legitimately one of the most athletic underrated big men in the history of wrestling not only could he do drop kicks and sprint across the ring at high speeds i believe one of his signature moves was a moonsault that dude did a freaking moonsault on a regular basis he spent time in wcw he spent time in wwf he spent time in new japan and for a couple of years he also has a couple of great matches in ecw in like 1996 1997 so Bam Bam Bigelow, 
definitely one of the underrated stars. And we'll talk more about him next week because, like I said, wow, he main evented WrestleMania 11, and WrestleMania 11 is is something. Oh, I'll just can't, say that. Can't wait. So some fun facts from listener Mike, Mike McGivern, who sends us a detailed email. He's as big of a wrestling nerd as we are, if not more. So in, in 1994, the WWF was still in a down period business-wise because it was post-Hulk Hogan. They were coming out of the steroid scandal, and they didn't really have the top stars that they had with Hogan and Savage, etc. cetera. Uh, but with Hulk Hogan leaving for WCW in the fall of 1993, the company did get rid of all the baggage that Hogan always brought with him. Smartly putting WrestleMania 10 back in Madison Square Garden, Vince McMahon knew he'd have a hot crowd and to his credit, put together a creative, great wrestling show. The backstory was a monster heel Yokozuna as the WWF champion and McMahon, who's trying to prove Hogan wasn't that special and that any muscle-bound American flag-waving hero could get over huge with the audience. He turned Lex Luger into a good guy to square off with the quote-unquote Japanese champion. A few between brothers, Brett and Owen Hart, had been stewing for months as well, and it all came to head at the 1994 Royal Rumble, where you had the co-winners, the stipulation that the coin flip would determine who would face Yokozuna for the title, and then um, and then there'd be the secondary title match later on in the show. So it was smart for a few reasons. Mike says, Hart was the top guy in the company at this point, but having a Hart-Yokozuna rematch after main eventing against one another on a bad show at last year's WrestleMania would not have gotten anyone excited. It was also a canny way to have the top good guy and bad guy appear more than once, helping strengthen the card from top to bottom. So um, uh, other notes from Mike that stand out here. So Mabel from Men on a Mission, the big guy. Yeah. He actually stuck around the company for a few years afterwards. He was a prominent part of the Attitude Era. Do you remember who Mabel was in the Attitude Era? It sounds really familiar. Like the name, the name rings a Oh, it's this. Yeah, no, I, I, I so that was Big this. Daddy V. Yeah, yeah. So when I remember watching it, I was like, oh, Big Daddy This is in it. But I, I knew he wasn't Viscera, but I did remember seeing yeah. him. And I was like, oh, Viscera is in this. This is sweet. I kind of forgot how like early he really was involved in WrestleMania because I just thought he was a guy who came in the fold around the Attitude Era when I started. But no, he was in, in it in the early 90s even. Also, around this time, Mr. Perfect wasn't wrestling because he had an insurance policy with Lloyd's of London for his back. That's why he was a special guest referee. He had gotten a seven-figure check because of his back injuries and eventually would return to be a full-time wrestler with WCW, which Lords of London, uh, I'm sorry, Lloyds of London did not think too fondly of because of this. To this day, they will not insure pro wrestlers. How about that, getting a seven-figure insurance check and then going back to being a wrestler and making seven figures? And then the the last note is Adam Baum was defeated in 35 seconds Brian Adam Bomb Clark was beat in 35 seconds by Earthquake in this match, and he was seen as one of the next big things in the company. He was in line for a long-term push as a main eventer and a probable future WWF champion. He didn't do anything wrong. It's just that Kevin Nash was good friends with Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon, and so at the urging of those guys, Nash ended up getting <laughs> the big man main event push that Adam Bomb was going to receive. And uh, the question there would be, what if Adam Bomb gets the top spot in the company instead of Diesel? What would the wrestling business have looked like? Because Diesel eventually became one of the most prominent figures in WWF and WCW for a 10-year stretch. For sure. Think about that for a second. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when I, when I, think, when I think Nash, I more think WCW. Um, obviously, he got, he got his name recognized in, in WWF as Big Daddy Diesel. But I, I feel like he, in terms of like, if you want to make a Mount Rushmore and the pillars of WCW... I think like Sting and Goldberg are obviously like your one and two, but I think Nash 
is probably on that list. At least he's debatable. I mean, he he was instrumental in both the NWO and then the the Wolfpack one he formed too. So uh, I, I'm excited to see him more actually in WWF because I remember him as Kevin Nash in WCW. But I mean, yeah, it would have been crazy if if he just didn't even become anything and then probably doesn't even get that push or is that guy in WCW either. Boy, that's a, you just brought up a really fun exercise. Uh, the WCW <laughs> Mount Rushmore of wrestlers. So the question there is how much do you want to include like when the when the WCW started in uh, in like the mid to late 80s it kind of what happened was NWA was the big competitor to WWF and Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes and Harley Race like these dudes were big time NWA champions and they travel mostly the Southern territories. And then they merged in with WCW in the mid nineties. So you think of like Starcade and, and all these big shows, like yeah, if you're going to just say from like 1990, when WCW became a thing and they, and they had their own title, Ric Flair is a maybe for me, but Ric Flair was a little bit past his prime by the time he came back to WCW in the mid 1990s. So yeah. If we're including the NWA days, Ric Flair has to be on that Mount Rushmore. But if we're saying like early 1990s WCW for that 10-year period, yeah, it's probably – it's Sting. It's got to be Goldberg, yeah. even though he was only like a three-year run. It's got to be Goldberg. Um, It's it's probably Kevin Nash, man. That's a good – this is a good exercise. I think it's Nash, and then I feel like I have to go DDP. I feel or like is, it Hollywood, is it Hollywood Hogan? But so like Hogan, that's another. Well, that's like the exercise kind of like Hogan wasn't past his prime in WCW or was he? It was like a second prime for him. Sure. I mean, yeah. He, he it was, was a, it was like a second wind. Like he, he was. Yeah. And if, all right, even another hypothetical alternate reality. What if Hulk Hogan never comes to WCW? Does WCW ever even take off? You know, like no, we can go zero, we, chance. zero no. chance. Right. So we can go down a whole different numerous wormholes here, but I feel like. DDP and Kevin Nash like are definitely part of the conversation. I think they're for sure part of the conversation. I think I think you just answered it though. I think if Hulk Hogan never comes to WCW, they don't take off like they did. No. They don't the NWO doesn't form to that level like it did. Goldberg had the streak. Sting is WCW. So I think those three guys have to be on it. Some people might say Lex Luger, like Lex Luger yeah. was a huge part of the early days of WCW, but I wouldn't put him on the Mount Rushmore. So that's an interesting one. If you're listening, hit us up. Who's the who's the <laughs> Who's the fourth guy? Who's the fourth guy in uh, in the WCW Mount Rushmore? There's probably some names that we aren't even throwing out there too. I mean Scott Steiner, but I would I wouldn't put him. Yeah, in Mount like Rushmore. like Jer- like Jericho. Dude, Jericho got a start in WCW, but really probably really became yeah. full Chris Jericho until he jumped ship to WWF. Do you know who it is? It's Eric Bischoff. Well, I I thought Bischoff too because he was so instrumental and in literally the creative genius of it. So I, I think by default we have to put him on. But if we're just looking at wrestlers. Then, 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 then it's open for a whole debate. But I, I, you're right that in terms of just impact of WCW, I mean, yeah, Eric Bischoff even maybe more than Sting and Goldberg, right? I mean, yeah. seriously. And some people are saying, like, dude, you got to put Ric Flair in there, and maybe it is Ric Flair. Maybe it's Flair Hogan, and it's uh, Goldberg and Sting, something right. like that. I could so, see it. all right, what is your match? <laughs> I mean, to me, this is obvious. The match that stole the show. So the non-main event match that stole the show. It's the ladder match. Yeah, that ladder match is insane. That that. Yeah. I, I forgot how long it was too. Again, I was like, oh man, this one's not. It's not dragging on. I was like, this is going on an awfully long time. And Sean, and that was actually to me your typical Shawn Michaels match is Shawn getting the crap kicked out of him for ninety-five percent of the match, and he super kicks and wins. 
this was the opposite. Like I felt Shawn Michaels pretty much dominated Razor Ramon for the good part of this match, and then Razor comes up big and gets him tangled in the ropes and pulls down both titles. Yeah. And took a nasty fall, by the way. He pulls down the titles and just like oh, yeah. just drops like a sack of wheat from the top rung yes. of that ladder. It's ridiculous. All right, that brings us to the definitive WrestleMania rankings here. We're looking for where this WrestleMania falls. We're looking for two things. Give it a one through ten stunner ranking. Okay. For me, it's it's a it's honestly like with the Bret Hart and Owen Hart storylines and with the iconic ladder match. It's a solid seven point five for me. Just okay. a lot of great like top level stuff here. Some 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 meh filler stuff, but it's like a seven point five for me. Yeah, it, the problem is is there's so many heavyweight matches in here there are at least there's there's more than one heavyweight match in here that it holds a ton of merit but then does that offset kind of the meh or does the meh offset all the great things too that happened in this match for me i feel like it's i want to give it a six and a half but i do feel like that's way too low just in terms of the ladder match owen and bret hart and bret hart winning a championship i mean i i was that his first wwf championship i feel like you know, he he had held he had the belt for a while Got it. Uh, in the year leading up to that. For yep. sure. So just like the heart dynamic. So I feel like it's six and a half, but I'll, I'll bump it to seven just because for the fact that you gave it a seven and a half rating. And, and there are, with what the ladder match laid the table for everything that basically happened in the 90s. And you still had like peak Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels really yet to get to his peak. Razor Ramon was in the fold. Kevin Nash was just a side character. Owen and Bret Hart were, were duking it out. So there's definitely a lot of good reasons why I can hear it being a seven and a half or even higher. But for me, I feel like I'll, I'll meet you in the middle and I'll, I'll say seven. But some of this stuff, too, was just there was just that downtime that I, I just got super bored with. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Bret Hart's first championship came at a house show. <laughs> he took it from Ric Flair on October 12th, 1992. And he held it until WrestleMania because he was the champion going into WrestleMania nine. Okay. And then Yoko, Yokozuna, that was actually Yokozuna's first ever championship. Okay. When he won it for 30 seconds and the Hulk Hogan came down and hijacked it. And then Yokozuna won it again at King of the Ring in June of that year and then held on to it until WrestleMania when Bret Hart took it away. So where does this one rank among the 10 WrestleManias we've watched so far? I think it's number one. Because I don't think we've had we've had a lot of meh cards like WrestleMania one. It's you know it's iconic because it was the first one. WrestleMania two was terrible. Nine was terrible. Uh, we right now it it goes WrestleMania six, eight, five, and three. So Hogan Warrior, Savage Flair, Hogan Savage, Hogan Andre. Um, I I I think it's number one. I think it's number one because it's got. It's got one of the most iconic matches of all time, and there's just a lot of great psychology and storylines in this one. So, yeah, what do you think? It, it, you're probably right. Now, like looking back on it, like if WrestleMania six was our big one, and, and that was mostly because of how great the main event was, and you had, you had some heart foundation, you had some cool stuff. But WrestleMania six was also 15 matches, and it was just it took forever. Yeah. So, even though the pace I didn't really like, just because of like these flashbacks and these little side gimmicks of Bill Clinton impersonators. I forget the two people from USA Network that they had on, and they had Burt Reynolds. They had just a bunch of sideshow acts that I felt like, even though that is part of the WrestleMania lure, I felt like it just took away from what WrestleMania should be. Um, but you're right. I think it is. I think it is probably the best one we've seen because we're getting now closer to the era that I'm familiar with, too. And even though I'm glad I've, I've been able to watch all these and see a, see a lot of the past ones I haven't seen before, 
I would say the consensus that is more than more than most of them have been boring. Like most of them have been not fun to watch. This one, I will say, it was pretty good. It was a pretty good mania. So I, well, I this, this, it is one. This is the first one that feels like you can start to sense a little attitude era in it, right? It's definitely before. It's before the attitude era. It's before they started thinking about the attitude era. But it, it, it's the seeds are being planted here, right? Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Shawn Michaels. Bret Hart, like Montreal Screwjob is a couple years away from oh, yeah. this. Helena Cell is a couple years away from this. Like you can you can start to see some of the Jerry the King Lawler making his first appearance as color commentator. This is where it all starts to line out. WrestleMania 11 is a little bit of a detour, but then you get into 12 and 13 and 14 oh, is yeah. full blown attitude era. Um, we're entering, we're starting to enter like the sweet spot of when I fell in love with wrestling again here as we as we push forward. So. Good stuff, dude. Yeah, man. Good stuff. Oh, that's yeah. WrestleMania. That's WrestleMania. 10. Can we just let's make it a tradition at the end of these? Let's let's <laughs> play the Vince McMahon shredding his vocal cords intro to wrap it as well. Every single week, we count down and count up. Actually, the WrestleMania is here. Vince McMahon, take it away. So nineties too. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.